Welcome to Leader Podcast, the ultimate destination for med tech insights, leadership inspiration, and the latest innovation. I'm Stephanie Plia, founder of Tribe Agency and your host for Leader Podcast. I just had the honor and privilege to interview our guest speaker for today, Rhonda Ryan, and I just wanted to share a little bit about her background before we launch into this podcast. Rhonda and I have worked together at two separate companies, but she's also come with a ton of experience She's an experienced, energetic, results-oriented director and executive with over 25 years of outstanding achievements in all things business, R&D, commercialization, reimbursement, business development, financing, corporate governance, both in private, public, and nonprofit entities. She's worked on several boards and has led the direction of now three medical tech startup companies, two of which I had the pleasure of working for her. She also earned her MBA from UCLA Business School, has a pharmacy degree from Washington State University. She's been a public speaker and a guest lecturer at several different events and also a published author. So with that and without any further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest tip for today, Rhonda Ryan. All right, so I'm super excited to have my very first guest on Leader Podcast. It's really fitting because she was also my very first boss out of college, and I'm pleased to introduce everyone to Rhonda Ryan. My first question to you, Rhonda, as a CEO of Provencio, what inspired you to pursue the mission of your company, and how does it differentiate itself from other people in your market? Yes. Well, thank you, Stephanie. It's an honor to be your first guest on Leader. So cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of men and women in the United States. It kills more people than all cancers combined. And part of the problem is that we have very inaccurate diagnostics. And our mission at Provincio is to prevent the preventable by revolutionizing cardiac blood tests with AI. And it's really, really unbelievable, but 80% of cardiovascular disease is preventable. So we want to prevent cardiovascular disease and all the side effects that are associated with other inaccurate diagnostics. And we differentiate ourselves very simply by offering a blood test that's highly accurate, yet relatively simple and accessible compared to the current diagnostics, which are treadmills, coronary CT angiograms, which require radiation and dye. What inspired you, based on what Provincio offers, to be the CEO of of Provincio? Sure. Well, when I came in, they were looking for a solution, someone who could come in and make a difference and create a highly accurate diagnostics. So I had always been in cardiovascular medicine the majority of my career and knew that machine learning, which is a subset of AI, is transforming every industry and felt that it could truly transform cardiac diagnostics. The question I have for Provencio is what what else could you do to get this same information? Or is there anything out there right now that would offer this same outcome? Currently, no. The current diagnostics are either a, a treadmill, which looks at kind of a functional um, approach. You walk on a treadmill and they'll do an echo or some sort of imaging to see if that stress of walking on the treadmill produces an electrical change or a visual change with echo. 
Um, there's also coronary CT angiograms, which are an imaging with a CT, but it requires radiation and dye. Um, so we are the only blood test out there that can look at, are you obstructed today and at imminent risk? Or do you have a one-year risk of heart attack, stroke, or cardiovascular death? And if I recall, your blood test can predict or prevent cardiovascular disease with like an 80 or 90% certainty that's been published, correct? Correct. Our accuracy is between 80 and 90% versus treadmills, which are about 52%. And coronary CT angiograms can say with a very high accuracy, you don't have cardiac disease, but because they're really looking at calcium, they have a higher false positive. So they accidentally tell more people that they do have the disease when they don't. That is incredible. I think I told you this the first time I started working with you that, you know, you're sitting on lightning in a bottle at this point. I think we need to shout this loud and proud and get your technology out into the airwaves because if we can potentially prevent someone from having a heart attack or a stroke, then let's do this, right? And I'm not surprised that you followed this company because you're always pursuing excellence. So with that, let's talk about you as a leader because really the essence of Leader Podcast is to discuss great leaders, but also great leaders in the med tech industry. And I think you happen to be both. You're an emerging med tech leader in this space, and you're also a great leader in the med tech space. And so I really want to kind of turn the attention to you. Can you tell us about your journey in the med tech industry and how it shaped your approach to leadership? Sure. Well, I had leadership opportunities very early in my career, and I think we all have the opportunity to be leaders every single day of our life, whether we have a formal leadership role or we're just working with peers. Um, you certainly sometimes have even more power as a peer to make a leadership role model difference. And in my career, I started in medical devices and worked as a peer and as a specialist and then worked up to manager and was offered a position as VP of sales and marketing for a biotech company, my first role outside of cardiology. But through that opportunity also was offered to be president and CEO at a ripe young age of about 30, 31 years old. So, and I, I want to hear more about your leadership experience because I think you're underselling it. Um, just a little bit of information. This is truly a Yoda moment for me. It's like the student getting to instruct the teacher really only on this podcast. Um, but it's a full circle moment for me because Rhonda was my first boss out of college. She hired me against all odds. I really didn't have a resume and I didn't have much to say in my interview. Um, but she took a chance on me and that's kind of her leadership style is finding raw talent and then grooming it and refining it and polishing it and making it great. Uh, I also got to work with her for another company, uh, Cardiodynamics. So shout out to all the Cardiodynamics people that are probably tuned into this interview, the monumental interview of us interviewing Rhonda Ryan, former CEO of, um, or COO of Cardiodynamics. Okay. So I want to hear more about your leadership. 
And then we'll skip back to Provencio because I definitely want to talk more about Provencio as well. Um, but you're not only a CEO, but you're also a published author, a public speaker. How do you balance all the various roles and how do they contribute to your overall leadership style? And then also, how is it lending to the success of Provencio? Sure. I think the different roles are highly complementary. If you think about a CEO, you're a leader. Um, my book is Keys to the Corner Office, Success Strategies by Women for Women is a subtitle. So it is about leadership and developing your career. And then public speaking has played a role throughout my leadership journey. As I said, I had leadership roles very early on and had opportunities to not speak so well and to learn to speak well. And I think public speaking is a very important skill to develop. And, yeah. and I really, you're right, Stephanie, I do believe in hiring raw talent that you can develop. And as long as that person has work ethic and integrity and shared values, I think that, um, and respect for each other, you can really develop a person and help them achieve things that they never thought were possible for their lives and for industry. I completely agree with you. Having lived on the other side of that teaching, that is how you hire and arm everyone that works for you. Um, back to Provencio for a second. So Provencio is obviously an up and coming biotech company with an AI powered innovative diagnostic test. Could you share some insights into the technology and the methodologies that your company utilizes to revolutionize cardiovascular disease prevention and detection? Sure. So we use machine learning, which is a subset of AI. And as I said earlier, machine learning's transforming every industry. And it's you can think of it as a statistical program. It can do iterations in seconds that would take a man weeks or a year to do. And so what we did was all of our initial research came out of a partnership with Massachusetts General Hospital and Dr. James Januzzi, a world-renowned cardiac biomarker expert. And Dr. Januzzi had a cohort of patients that had all undergone a coronary catheterization. And that's where you take the patient into the catheterization laboratory and you insert a catheter up through their groin or through their arm to into the heart arteries or the coronary arteries. And our first diagnostic, our first test, we wanted to develop a test that would say whether the patient had obstruction in the heart arteries or the coronary arteries. And I was saying to my collaborators, I can't develop an accurate test unless I have the definitive gold standard answer. That's all patients have gone to the coronary cath. I can't use a surrogate like a treadmill, which we know is inaccurate, or even coronary CT angiogram. So Dr. Januzzi had this group of more than a thousand patients. They had all gone to the cath lab. He had follow-up for five years. And so we took those blood samples, measured them for more than 100 proteins. We had clinical parameters, probably 2,500 of them, including the follow-up for five years. And we fed all that information into the machine learning. And what the machine learning does, again, is it, it does iterations, like faster than any 
person could do. And it will select the first protein or the first clinical parameter that is most accurate for whatever your endpoint is. So our first endpoint was, does this patient have 70% obstruction or not? And it'll select a second variable, whether it be a protein or a clinical parameter, and it puts those two in an algorithm. And so long as that second variable added to the accuracy, it'll keep doing iterations by adding a third and a fourth and a fifth. And if the fifth one doesn't add to the accuracy, it'll kick it out and add a new fifth one. And it builds up this model that I say is clinically unviable because it may have 30 proteins, 15 clinical parameters, which is just not commercially viable. We've developed a process as part of our platform for reducing down oftentimes noise, which is not leading to accuracy, but maintaining the accuracy through a commercially viable, say three to five protein panel. And again, each of those iterations has an algorithm and it's that algorithm or weighting of each parameter that really gives us the power of the accuracy that we get. Got it. Would you qualify your product or your solution as a biomarker? Do you kind of align with that same market or is it completely different? It's certainly a biomarker. So if you think about just what is a biomarker, bio is the body, it's a marker in the body. So that can be genes, it can be proteins, it can be expressed genes, it can be part of your microbiome. We specialize in proteins. Um, if you look at genes, they're highly static. You're born with your genes, they don't change much over a lifetime, but your genes will say which proteins should be expressed. And those proteins are closer to the disease state. They're very dynamic. So we can, if a patient's improving or deteriorating, it's been shown that proteins are more accurate in demonstrating that than say a static gene. But okay. certainly we are biomarkers. Okay. So there's a DNA component that you're obviously born with, and then there's an environmental component that can potentially come up in these blood tests, right? There's the DNA piece, but there's also an environmental piece, which we're not gonna get into all the ways that you can potentially prevent cardiovascular disease. That is obviously the goal, but also having this very specific test that can at least give you a ballpark of what your risk score is and then manage yourself accordingly. Um, Absolutely. I think that you have tons of patient testimonies where you've literally salvaged their life or you've made a huge impact. I mean, this is remarkable. So tell us about, if you happen to have one on the top of your head, um, tell us about a patient where they had your test and it actually changed the course of their life or it potentially gave them back time. Or I'll, I may flip that on you. Okay. We, and, and this involves women also, you may have heard that women's presentation of cardiovascular disease is very unusual from men. Um, and they don't really know why, but they theorize that women have a microvascular disease, so very small vessels, whereas, you know, in general, men have a more, in the larger arteries, so they will get chest pain and some 
signs that are more overt. Um, we used to have massive heart attacks and people were dying left and right. And they're still dying from cardiovascular disease, but it's more of a chronic disease. So you don't see as many people that just flat out have a heart attack and die. There's still people that are doing that. But um, I attribute that in large part due to a controversial drug, statins. And a lot of cardiologists will say statins should be in your water. I don't know if they should be in your water, but I really believe that statins have stabilized plaque. So we have less vulnerable plaque that's breaking off, causing acute MIs and deaths, MIs being a myocardial infarction. So we have a patient that the cardiologist tried to get her to go on statins for a long time and she refused. And on our test, we have two different tests. The one-year risk of heart attack, stroke, cardiovascular death was a higher score, meaning she was more likely to have it in a year. But her coronary artery disease score was lower, meaning she didn't show disease in a macro or a large vessel. And she still wouldn't go on the statin. Anyway, about two months after she had our test, she had a myocardial infarction. What? So, yes. Wow. So that's just, you know, unfortunately we didn't prevent that, but we could have. And, and using diagnostics that, and even using the two diagnostics together, it's really a diagnostic and a prognostic or a risk. There's just a lot of power in that. But we have patients where they've gone heart CVE, the one year risk of heart attack, stroke, cardiovascular death is a scale of one to 10. And over a year and a half with intensive treatment, the patient went from a nine to an eight to seven. So our tests are very easy for the clinician and patients to understand. And patients can really see the difference that the treatment is making in their scores. So my guess, because this is usually how technology evolves, as people get more trust and faith in what your test provides, and they stand on that as the final decision and make intervention or do, you know, do intervention if they're a doctor, or they make lifestyle changes immediately. And until then, there's going to be this buildup of trust, because you're going to be able to have stories like this, where you actually show you know, look, we saw this in the test. We provided that feedback. There was no intervention. And here we are with a patient with an MI. That's huge. And hopefully it'll get to a point where your physicians that use this test will stand by it. And um, we'll just get this message out to patients that they don't really have to go through what maybe they had a family history where they, I've always heard this where the, you know, someone will say, oh, my dad died at a heart attack at 50, my grandma died at 60, and they have this just like dark cloud of family origin that they talk about as, it's like a, as if it's inevitable, right? Those are the yep. patients who should at minimum get this blood test. And, you know, we have had some of those that say, I'm so worried about what happened to my parents. And one man, it made me want to cry. I mean, he was so relieved to get his results and to know that he didn't have this dark shadow hanging over him at this time. 
And again, we do want to prevent the preventable and we're not treating cardiovascular disease, but by having accurate diagnostics out there, as I said, 80% of cardiovascular disease is preventable. If someone's at high risk and we market it as a one-year risk test versus a four or five, even though we have data going out that long, we do that to get the patient and the clinician's mind share to do something about it before they have an event. Right. I mean, it's kind of not so much similar, but in the same lane of like getting a BRCA test. If you think you've been predisposed to breast cancer and getting the BRCA test, some people don't want to know that information, but it's definitely information that's useful and can kind of tell you, do you need to make a decision here or do you need to just stay close to your mammogram? So um, anyway, that's about as much as I know on your test. Let's let's move the conversation back towards leadership. So Rhonda, I know I had mentioned that I've had the fortune of working with you at two different companies in my career, my first job out of college, and then really my first experience as a leader was with you back in, I don't even know, a long time ago. <laughs> but recently we've gotten an opportunity to work together uh, and having you as a client. And I know um, you were looking to do some things with your brand and your company, and it just so happened to be around the time that I had launched Tribe Agency. And so we've gotten a chance to work together on a couple different projects. I just wanted to kind of get your understanding of one, why you reached out and sought out some outsourced, you know, brand strategy and digital marketing strategy and assistance with social media and, um, what the experience has been like so far. You won't hurt my feelings. Well, thank you. The experience has been tremendous and it gave me no greater joy than to give Tribe an opportunity to really take us to the next level. In a startup, you have limited resources, including financing and personnel. So we have used a model where we can outsource intelligently, we do. And our heads were so far down, you know, just executing on getting our first two products out. We had had, you know, preventing the preventable as a brand, but really needed work on communicating, refining that, getting it better across in our website and our social media. And Tribe has just been absolutely tremendous and kind of helping us get our head out of the weeds, um, take a step back and better define and communicate what our value proposition is. Well, thank you for that. Um, I, you know, I do everything with passion. I learned that from you. Like, don't do anything you're not passionate about. It's not worth doing. So when I found out about what you guys had, I think the first thing out of my mouth was, do you guys understand what you have? And I think sometimes you get so close to your subject that you lose objectivity. And, and in this case, it was just so obvious to me that you guys were sitting on something great and we really just needed to get it out there, repurpose the way you were approaching it and really take some claims. Uh, my former employee that I was there 12 years, I think they didn't really start taking claims until about six years into the business um, and starting to say, you know, we were a disruptive technology. We were the founders and pioneers of robotic surgery. And they started to kind of own their claims. And so using that as a reference, the first thing I felt that Provincio was kind of soft selling was the solution that they provide. And the fact that they could potentially save someone's life witnessed by this lost patient we just talked about. And so that wasn't coming through in their brand. It wasn't coming through in their tagline. It wasn't coming through in their marketing efforts. 
and their social media, it, it didn't feel like what they had was getting its fair share. And so that was an honor for me and my team to be able to say, look, this is what you've got and let's get this out there. And so you guys have been an absolute joy to work with. And it was a really fun experience for us as, you know, some of our first clients as we created Tribe Agency, but it's been really fun to even see your team kind of get behind like the new branding, the new messaging, the new headlines, the new website, and now with social media. So it's fun to watch the journey and the evolution of Provencio. And I believe by the end of this year, at latest, Provencio will be a household name with respect to AI powered blood tests that could potentially prevent or predict cardiovascular disease and hopefully prevent them from happening. I agree. And I would just say you use the word journey. And I look at leadership is not a destination. Leadership is a journey and you should never stop learning. You should never stop evolving and trying to be an even better leader. Completely agree. I think that the companies that don't evolve, don't pivot when necessary and don't follow where the puck is headed, die. I could list several examples where I'm like, oh, Blockbuster, ooh, Kodak. Like they had it, they had the puck in their hand and they missed it, they missed it. Netflix just came and grabbed it. And you know, all the smartphones, Kodak could have had a smartphone, but they just weren't paying attention. So I agree with you. You've got to not only evolve and pivot and, and adapt as a leader, but you've also got to evolve, pivot and adapt as a company. Um, okay, so let's talk about leadership because that's obviously the essence of this podcast, but it's also something that I know you to be synonymous with. It's like tissue and Kleenex. I think of the word leader, I immediately think of Rhonda Ryan. And that's from my own experience. That's not me just as a podcast host pumping her up. That was from my own experience. And so before we get into kind of our personal thoughts on leadership, I want you to just share some of your wisdom I know that you've had three, you've had experience with three separate startups in the med tech space, and you've had success on all three, three being the Provincio that you're with right now, but the other two were Cardiodynamics that was acquired by Fuji Films, and then you've also had experience with Culture Technology. So a huge resume of med tech startups that you were running and I want to make sure for the med tech CEOs and executives that might be a, a little bit further behind or just getting started, what wisdom would you provide them that could potentially prevent or shorten their learning curve and also help them catapult their technology out into this space? Sure. So to me, it's pretty simple, but you've got to understand what the problems are and what you're trying to solve and, and make sure that you are truly addressing a big problem and that you have an innovative, better, hopefully less expensive solution. And, and once you define that, and we initially defined that at Provincio as, you know, we need improved diagnostics that are more accessible, more accurate, and less expensive. Once you do that, I think you've got to partner and hire the best people you can. And sometimes that you can't afford someone with 30 years of experience. So in certain 
functions, you need that experience and maybe you have to contract it initially, but in other functions, we talked about it earlier, identify people with raw talent that you know that you can develop and that those people have got to have the same work ethic and hopefully they also have a servant mentality, teamwork type of mentality. Um, I look for people with integrity and shared values. And again, you've got to blend that raw talent that doesn't have a lot of experience with some experienced talent, but build a team that's respectful and all understand the mission and what roles and responsibilities they have in fulfilling that mission. Absolutely. I think that you did that with me. I'm, I guess I'm raw talent. <laughs> I, I was 23 when you first hired me, so I really didn't have anything else, but was whatever was coming through my pores in my poorly chosen red suit, which will be the, I'll never forget that interview, but um, thank you for taking a chance on me. And I agree. It's all about who you hire. I think, you know, in my leadership experience as well, if you hire tough, you'll manage easy. And so I think you, you've got a knack for hiring really good people, even if it's not on their resume or even if it's not in their former experience, but being able to see what they bring to the table and then also enlightening them in what they bring to the table because they may not know, you know, they may have not ever had a mentor that told them, you realize you're really good. Something that you had said to me, which I then said to all of my reps and anyone who's listening that I used to manage, they're going to remember me saying this, but you said, you have to understand you're like 1% of the sales population. Because I think it was a time where I was going from being an individual contributor to a manager myself. And I was thinking in my brain that of course, everyone's going to be just like me. I'm going to have a whole team of overachiever work ethic out the door, crazy people that are just going to get things done when I don't ask them to. And then what you had brought to my attention is that's a very small percentage of the general workers. Now, I mean, that was many, many years ago. So obviously things have changed, but I used that same wisdom to share with my reps who I was developing into future leaders. You ultimately have to know why you're good and be able to teach it to others or you'll have to be able to manage them out and pretty swiftly. Okay, not getting well, off on my own leadership experience, but I remember you specifically saying that to me and I've used that for years to come. Well, um, one of the things we've talked about, Stephanie, is to hire slowly and unfortunately fire quickly. And if you can really take your time and get the right candidate, then you can develop them and you don't have to worry about the other end of the firing. But if they're not right, it's it doesn't serve you, that person, nor the company to keep holding on to them. Before I get into the final questions that I ask all of my guest speakers, I want to just briefly touch on some things that you may not even recall you've said to me in the past, but are still with me today. And I think I have said them to my reps. And so I just wanted to let you know that because part of this leader podcast for me is paying it forward. I have a massive lineup of leaders that I've not only worked for, but I've admired and I can't wait to have them all on to kind of showcase their leadership, but also to inspire future leaders. Leadership is an art. I will go down in history saying that it is not something that can just come to anyone that wants it. 
I definitely think you can develop it and there are tons of resources to develop it, but it's an art. And if you see it as anything other than that, you're going to miss. If you see it as power, you're absolutely going to miss. It's not about you. It's about them. And so what I want to talk to you about is the same thing that I would ask everyone else that's going to be on here. But before we do that, um, here are some things I want to tell you that still stick with me. One, I think I was like 23 or 24 and I was traveling the whole country. I had just graduated college. I didn't even know, you know, I was not someone that was like traveling all the time because I had just graduated college. And I was just very stressed out from the work that was being put on me for very little pay, by the way. But that was my own fault for not negotiating better. Um, but I remember I was just having a minute and I, you know, I was also very young and immature and I hadn't been humbled by life yet. Things weren't really hard leading up to that point. So I had my first kind of hardship. And I remember going into your office. This was with culture technology. And I was crying. <laughs> Which, by the way, I've been quoted in your book, if you need to cry, go outside. That is my full belief in business. So I didn't take my own wisdom, but this was, again, back before I was humbled by life. I was crying and telling you how hard my life was and I was tired of traveling and this, that, and the other. And you said to me very matter of factly, um, and I think it was said with empathy, but it wasn't received as such, but it has stuck with me. And you had said, you know, you need to cut the drama out of your life. And it's funny that I just fixated on that, but that was a really telling moment to me. And honestly, it was a pivot point for me as a person. And I agreed with you. Um, I grew up in a household of all girls and I think we were just all highly charged individuals and drama just came naturally. And I'm not a fan of drama personally and professionally, but I think I was young and just putting it out there and hoping that you would resolve all my issues. And you just point blank said, you need to cut the drama out of your life. So that's something that stuck with me. And I've honestly passed to several people, both personally and professionally, when they've just lived a full life of drama they're just getting in their own way. And so that was wisdom number one that stuck with me and still is to this day. Um, this hiring concept of hiring the gems that maybe not everyone else would see. Um, you did that with me, you did that with several people at Culture Technology and Cardio Dynamics. And I have since taken on that same, same role, same approach. I, I actually, Chris and I, my husband and I were talking the other day in the kitchen about superpowers. And I'd said, you know, I think it's safe to say my superpower is hiring really good people. And hopefully they're all listening today. But I have this like knack, the ability to just see what's not being seen. And you're right. It's fire in the belly. It's intellect, capacity, will, sheer grit and moxie can get you there. And so I learned that from you because you hired people that I probably wouldn't have hired just based on their resume. And then you refine and polish them like a precious gem. And they're, they're, they're yours for life when you do that, right? And so that's just another thing that stuck with me and not only stuck with me, but that's how I've been successful. If you hire the right people, you just get out of their, their way. You don't really need to teach them much. Last thing, and then we'll move into the end of, of our podcast. You, again, probably won't remember this. But so I was this young, kind of inexperienced med device rep very early in my career. And I also was very competitive. I'm the youngest of four girls. And so I always had to fight for the front seat. I pretty much had to fight for anything. And 
And so I was a fighter and she knew that about me. And so she would push me. And so every single time that the quarter would end, I was already at or above quota. And I would call her with my final, this was specifically at Cardi Damas. I'd call her super excited. I just passed my quota for the year or whatever it might've been. And I'm ready to just go celebrate. And she's like, go get one more. <laughs> Always, 100% of the time. Couldn't be more annoying, but I did. I went and got one more. She was never satisfied with status quo or success or just the number. It was get one more. And so I've kind of taken that too into my leadership arsenal. And again, if people that have worked either for Rhonda or me or for both of us, um, they've probably heard all of this wisdom because when you learn from someone better than you, and that's the essence of Tribe, my company, bring people in that are better than you, surround yourself with them, and by osmosis alone, you will get what they have. And if you're listening and paying attention, and grabbing these nuggets of wisdom, you can apply them to your future life. So on the record, thank you. I know I've said this to you a thousand times, if not a thousand and one, but thank you for your leadership. It's really modeled and shaped me as a leader. And several other people on my team also account for their leadership style through what I learned from you and, uh, and then I passed to them. So with that, what is your leadership superpower? And I also want to know about a mentor that potentially gave you wisdom just like you did to me. And then also I want to know what's the one book, if you had to choose the one book for a future leader or an, even an early emerging CEO. Um, those are three questions, so I'll let you answer all three. But starting with your leadership superpower, what do you think is just natural to you and really charges you as a leader? Well, First of all, thank you very much. Your praise um, is warming to my heart. And I think the greatest gift we can give people are opportunities and having them believe in themselves, guiding them a little, but for the most part, getting out of the way and let them know that you trust them to make good decisions. But um, hiring the right people is really my superpower. And I think really letting them see that you trust them enough to make decisions and that it's okay to make mistakes and to just be really positive all along the way. We were talking about this as a group, a, a team leadership meeting last week. Um, one of my favorite quotes is impossible says or spells I'm possible. I'm possible. So it's just really having a, a very, I don't even want to say realistic. It's almost if you can trust that you can achieve things through and you ask about, you know, who's had the greatest impact in my life, it's Jesus Christ. And for me, I trust that I'm going to do my very best and go after that one additional sale and he's going to carry the rest. And, and I try to really communicate to the people that I work with that, I've hired them because they do have talents. I believe in them. I trust them. Go big, go bold, make mistakes. Because if you don't make mistakes, you're not making enough decisions. And to really have fun, have fun and really enjoy the journey and understand it's not the destination. It's really the journey, whether it's leadership or this particular project, this particular day, week, quarter. I completely agree with you. You obviously have a good eye for hiring people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, 
But I also want to say, because you didn't fully answer the question, that another superpower, I guess I didn't give you the option of two, but is your servant leadership style. You invest in your people. So you not only find great or raw talent, but you invest in them. I mean, I think you bought me my first pair of high heels and my first briefcase. Um, and they were fancy ones too. But I remember that. Those are things that you remember, especially as you're early in your career. And it just shows that you care. And it wasn't about superficial things, but it was just, you saw whatever I was carrying around was probably like my old college backpack or something. But you invest in your people and you have a very servant way of doing that and making people feel heard. And your show, you show empathy with whatever, you know, your conversation is. And there's times where, you know, I was having a bad day and, I, and you'd say, let's talk about this for five minutes and then we're going to be done with that because we're going to talk about forward thinking, solution oriented conversations. And again, all of those things you probably just rattle off on a daily basis, but those are all things that have stuck with me. So next, what mentor shaped your leadership or had the greatest impact on how you approach your leadership style? Again, it's Jesus Christ. Um, my mom certainly had an impact, but she believes strongly in Jesus. And I look to Jesus. He was the ultimate servant leader. And thank you, Stephanie. I, I really do believe um, there's lots of sayings that I have, but people don't really care about how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think really caring about people and letting people know that you care about them as a person and as a professional and you care about their family um, and that you do truly care really makes a difference in people wanting to go that extra mile. And in leadership, it's not, I think the lowest level of leadership is using positional power and saying, I am the leader. I mean, that's, that's just doesn't get it done. It, it never has and certainly doesn't get it done in today's world. But really being a servant leader and having people want to go that extra mile and never wanting to disappoint you is really the ultimate level of leadership. And that's Jesus Christ was willing to die for us and did. And to me, that's no the greater love. You could have. Absolutely. Um, okay. So then the final question for you is the book. You made me read a lot of books early in my career. I'm staring at most of them right here, but if you had to boil it down to just one book that you would want an early leader or an executive of a emerging med tech company to read, and you feel like it could have a huge impact on the way they approach their career, their profession, their personal life, what would that book be? The Bible. <laughs> I'm seeing a theme. <laughs> <laughs> it's a theme. Or any of the John Maxwell, the servant leadership books, but truly the Bible is the word of God and it is truly the greatest book in the world. And it has more wisdom than anyone could ever imagine. I completely agree with you. You also had an impact on my religious beliefs and my faith. So um, I appreciate that from you too. Not to get too personal into our friendship, but um, I everything she said today is completely authentic. I can tell you that she's one of the best humans I've ever come into contact with. And many people that have been introduced to her feel the same way. I'm thrilled the Provencio has her on this ride with them. And I know she's going to take them to the top. 
um, but also any company that she puts her mind to, she succeeds. So for future leaders that are listening in today, or even if you're in a startup and you're struggling, you know, I think she would network with you just out of the kindness of her heart. She's on LinkedIn. Definitely reach out if you want to hear more. Um, but I'm happy to promote not only Rhonda Ryan, one of the best leaders I've ever worked for, but also Prevencio. I think it's an up and coming biotech company that everyone should get their eyes on because it's going to save lives and it's going to change the paradigm of how we're managing cardiovascular disease. And hopefully at some point in our lifetime, we'll be able to make a huge impact on cardiovascular disease. Stephanie, thank you. You're very generous and gracious in your comments. And I just close that Tribe Agency is absolutely amazing. And we're all on this journey together and none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes and the best we can do is just acknowledge our mistakes, learn from them and move on and become the best person and leader that you can possibly be. So thank you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Leader Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed hearing from some of the brightest minds in the industry. Leader Podcast is brought to you by Tribe Agency, your go-to source for all things branding, marketing, and med tech. Subscribe to Leader Podcast today on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you'll be the first to know when new episodes drop. Till next time.